Audrey. Kayla. Yes. Hello. How are you? How are you doing, my dear? Uh, The same as I was 30 seconds ago when we wrapped up the last episode. You know, that's that's probably fair. Let me rephrase that. Here. I'm doing well, Audrey. How are you doing? I'm doing well as well. I'm glad. I'm glad you're feeling better. Thank you. I would say I'm not feeling 100%, but that's like every day is like spin the wheel. Are you going to get heartburn, nausea, migraine? You know, it's all fun. Or just go down the entire Pepto-Bismol theme song, nausea, heartburn, indigestion, upset stomach. Upset stomach, diarrhea. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't take Pepto-Bismol. So. Ew. (laughs) I know. I can take Tums, but it usually Um. makes me vomit, so. You were the most recent of my friends to have a baby, and I'm not saying... None of you are making this sound like an appealing process. Look, uh, I'm, I'm sure the payoff will be worth it, but I hope he people didn't come here to listen to me talk about being you for chat- pregnant and ill, right? I'm just going to speak one thing over you. I hope your baby comes out looking like its father. Hey, I hope you put in rude. lots of hard work. And it comes out looking like its father. <laughs> that's so rude. <laughs> that's just how it works. And like it's Look, like you have a rough pregnancy you and then your baby studied, looks like the dad. <laughs> if you ever studied genetics, you know dominant traits and recessive traits. And I got most of the dominant ones, baby. Okay, by that same token, my sister had most of the dominant traits. And her babies are all blonde-haired, blue-eyed, and not dark-haired and green-eyed. So, Just the luck of the draw. But we're here to talk about Chapter 8 of Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien. Yes. Because it's um, Mordor she wrote. And if this is your first time joining us, which um, you should probably go back and start at the beginning at this point, unless you've read Lord of the Rings before, and in which case, if you have not, you're going to be very lost. Because at this point, we're on Chapter 8, Fog on the Barrow Downs, and the whole our whole shtick is that I have never read Lord of the Rings before, um, which is surprising because I'm the English teacher here, but Audrey was obsessed with it, was, currently is, always has been, always will be You're obsessed right. with yeah. it. All yeah. of that's accurate. Yes. And this chapter, Fog on the Barrow Downs, has the hobbits leaving um, Tom Bombadil's house, where we were in chapter 7. Correct. So, yes. we start off with an almost two-page description of the hobbits realizing (laughs) they didn't say goodbye to Goldberry and going back to say goodbye to Goldberry. Is that really how long that section took? I'm not saying I don't believe you, but that can't be true. Yes. That is true. It is not. No way. Literally, it's a page and three quarters in my book. Oh... I guess you they get, right. yeah, yeah. We get through like half a page long. and Frodo stops and he says, Goldberry, my fair lady, clad all in silver green. We have never said farewell to her nor seen her since the evening. So they all kind of lose it a little bit, realizing they didn't say goodbye to everyone's favorite ethereal creature. I'm guessing they, they've never seen a woman before in general, like in that way. But there are lady hobbits. I didn't say there weren't lady hobbits. I just said none of lady hobbits look like Goldberry. That's correct, and no lady elves look like Goldberry either. That is that is, that is for certain. I, that is not for certain. I have no idea about lady elves at this point. 
I'm just going off of Tolkien's frequent comparisons to Elvish people and then how he um, diverts into saying, but she was more, but she was, it's not like that. It's better. So Tolkien is essentially mansplaining um, Elvish ladies to us. Um, I mean, just like the draw of this particular lady, I think. I got you. Yes. Um, my notes were considerably shorter on that part. I said they. That's because more... we have a huge chunk of just travel and landscape description in yes. this one. Yes. So this would be the um, peaceful montage music scene of hobbits traipsing through nature with their, you guessed it, fat ponies. Good little amount, ponies. The amount of pony references in this chapter. Um, and the next one, and probably all of them, um, um, I usually throw this in at this point too. I have read The Hobbit before, and I have a thing about Tolkien's songs and the amount of times ponies are mentioned. <laughs> or described as, they're either described as fat little ponies or good little ponies or good fat little ponies. But, I mean, it's consistent, so we'll give him that. So... Everything initially, like, looks pretty good for the hobbits as they get going, and they, I may have my order of events a little confused, but they end up on top of a hill to eat lunch in the middle of the afternoon. It's a nice day, and then something nefarious happens, and they all fall asleep. Like, they have one of those naps where you wake up and you wonder what century it is and how you got to where you are. And that is only the beginning of the troubles for this particular chapter. Yes. So they they go to sleep around uh, like noon and they've had some like ominous feelings um, as they travel through the Barrow Downs a little bit. But mostly they're just like, we're about to get through here and it's no big deal. Um, But they take that nap. They wake up. It's both evening and foggy as hell. So they can't see anything. Yes, and uh, the sun is going down rapidly, the fog's rolling in, and that ominous mood ratchets up to about a level 10. Um, yeah, and they're holding onto each other and each other's ponies and stuff um, so that they and, don't lose each other in the darkness, but at a certain point for... Yeah. Sorry, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, they're just like, they're traipsing along in a single file line in the direction they think is north or the direction they right. need to be They going. basically are like, this is the way we were going before it got foggy, right? Nope. Um, the answer is no. Yeah, but at a certain um, point, Frodo sees um, what he thinks is the the kind of stone gate that marks the end of the Barrow Downs. Um, yes. So he's like, hey, follow me, and he hurries up, and th- then he realizes that he's alone. His okay. pony runs off. He can't find Sam, Merry, or Pippin. Yes, none of this ends well for him, and... Correct me if I'm wrong, but this kind of harkens back to the dream that he had in the last chapter. Um, at um, least with the standing stone thing. I don't know. Like, It kind of does. The The implication, I think, um, in his dream is that the wall is more recently constructed than, like, the Barrow Downs. So yes. the Barrow Downs are, like, the ruins of, like, where these old kings and soldiers were buried. So they're very, very ancient and worn down versus yes. in his dream where it was clearly a more recent structure. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I definitely but I think, think the that... shape and stuff's the same. Yeah. 
I think the dream from the last chapter is just it, and you can this. I'm th- throwing in a wild prediction here. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I love um, these. It has nothing to do with what's going on in this chapter. Obviously, we discussed that part already, but it's going to play larger in either later in this book or later in this series. So I'm I'm gonna dog ear that thought. I think that's because... a good thing to make note of. You know. Yes. Um. So one thing, so he we've talked about he runs ahead and loses everybody else, correct? Right. He's yes. separated from not only his pony, but from all of the other hobbits. Yes. So I took these stones, in my imagination and the way it read to me, was that there was two of them, two large standing stones. And this was, like I mentioned with the last chapter, like Tolkien dipping into Celtic mythology here. He Um, definitely, um, what Frodo thinks he sees is two large standing stones, which if you pass through, they kind of act as like the gate, quote unquote, the north gate, so that you're coming out of the Barrow Downs as you go through them. Yes. Um, It very much reminded me of the standing stones in Outlander, just they're not set up in a circle, but there is something mythical and almost ominous about them um Mm -hmm. i have in my notes they remind me of some sort of gateway and when frodo passes between them everything goes dark and his companions have disappeared and he thinks he hears the others calling him and runs ahead frantically to try and find them and he ends up on the top of another hill and sees a barrow before him Right. And before he sees it, he says, where are you again? Like calling for the others. And this voice comes from the ground and it says, here, I am waiting for you. Uh, And that's when he sees the Barrow White, which are these two cold, pale eyes. um, And he's grabbed in this cold iron grip and he passes out. Yes. Um, I'm inserting this thought here again, even though we just talked about it in the last chapter. Sure, I had yeah. to look up what a barrow and what a barrow is, and the first definition provided by Google was a wheelbarrow, which huh. made no sense. But the second is a sort of burial mound, which um, lends some kind of context to the situation that we are now in, because I forgot what everything was when we read this. That's okay. And I also want to make note that in the last chapter, Tom Bombadil told Frodo and the gang to uh, to not go meddling with an old stone or cold whites or prying into their houses unless you be strong folks with hearts that never falter. And he also told them to mind their business. And <laughs> I'm pretty sure we have done fucked up on two of those three instructions. <laughs> yeah, that seems about right. Yes. And then I have another note here. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying I had to make another note here to myself that a white is a ghost or a supernatural being. I had to look that up too. And it seems in one fell swoop, Frodo managed to break all of Tom's rules. Yeah, it, uh, it sure does. Because when Frodo wakes up, he is inside a barrow. So again, that's like a burial mound. So he's literally inside a grave. Um, yeah. He basically starts to despair and then realizes um, that he didn't like the thought of this being the end of his adventure. And that's enough to, 
to spur him to get up. I also made a little yeah. a little side note that in here Tolkien does one of his little asides, like a thing that the character doesn't know, where yes. he's like, he did not know it, but Bilbo and Gandalf had thought him the best Hobbit in the Shire. I and love I was just that. Like, Aw. Um, I think we glossed over something that Frodo hears an ominous voice that somebody had been waiting for him. And yes. Yeah, I mentioned that when by he was calling and, out for oh, the yeah. others. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. No, you're good. And then I went down a rabbit hole of Norse, Celtic, and um, what was the other one? Anglo-Saxon history and mythology here with the Barrowdowns and the Whites and all of that. Yes. All of that. So... Um, Frodo's we... noticed also that inside the barrow with him, Sam, Pippin, and Merry are dressed basically like kings with a sword laid across their yes, necks. Yes, and their burial shrouds. And I'm like, I was like, oh, Tolkien, you did it. Because, like, um, I have another podcast called Get Grim that is currently in production for a new set of episodes um, after being off the air for nearly a year. But the last big section I did was on Celtic mythology, and there is a lot to do with um, burial mounds with them. Um, especially the Norse as well, and I think the Anglo-Saxons borrowed the practice from both of the, both of those previous groups. But basically, when you bury a king, you put him in either his best armor or some kind of shroud, you bury him with a sword, and then surround him with treasures. And that is exactly how Frodo and the squad are in this particular section of the book. And I nerded out about that a little bit, because I know I shouldn't be excited at this point because they're in mortal danger, but... Well, it's a very cool referential thing that you have um, discovered in Tolkien's writing. Yes, and then I had kind of a meta question for you here. So, Tolkien kind of paints all of these things in a sinister, almost evil kind of light. And do you think that is his commentary on paganism or the occult? Or am I reading far too much into this? I mean, considering that Tolkien... We're going to continue seeing this throughout his books. I like Tolkien's writing. He's got some xenophobic stuff uh, that will come clear and that um, you probably have read some about having taught The Hobbit. Um, just in general, the portrayals that he makes um, characters of like actual races of people. Okay, so for context... His- the, for, to- for context, the last time I taught The Hobbit to middle schoolers was when I worked at the private school, the private Christian school. You t- school. taught to middle schoolers, so you wouldn't have touched on this, but um, there's a mm. lot of um, there's a lot of symmetry in Tolkien's portrayal of the dwarves and a lot of harmful and negative stereotypes of Jewish people, and gotcha. that is not something that is um, like unnoticed by people yes. who study this and people who read this, so... Um, I would say that that's a fair assessment that this yeah. this being kind of a condemnation of paganism is a fair assessment. Okay. So back to the plot because that's my I I, I went down a rabbit hole for like a page and a half on my notes on that. But no, no, that was this, I, I think that was totally essentially fair. the question. Yeah. Frodo, um, Fro- Frodo has one of his my favorite moments of him. I've been waiting for him to have some kind of heroic moment oh but kayla for skipping the part where the barrow white sings i mean okay you can cover that 
No, no, I don't have anything in particular to say about this other than that Tolkien likes his song so much uh, that literally the Barrow White is singing this really ominous song about death and uh, Frodo describes it as an incantation, kind of hypnotic. Yes, he does. He briefly considers putting on the ring and running away and mourning his friends. But then he like pulls himself up by his bootstraps. I've been waiting for Frodo to have a moment like this for eight chapters and like six months. And he, so this, I guess it's like the zombified arm comes running at him, um, the thing style from the Adams family on its fingers. And Frodo seizes his little hobbit sword and cuts the hand off. And then there's great shrieking to be heard. And everyone wakes up and they're like, oh my god, what's happening to us? And yeah, I just lost my steam. Hold on. Okay. Walking on fingers toward his friends, grabs his sword and chops off its hand. The sword shatters and the barrel white growls at him. Okay, so I got a little ahead of myself. And then he remembers the song that Tom Bombadil taught him. Look, that Chekhov's gun, Tom Bombadil's song. It's being used one chapter later. Yes. What is Chekhov's gun? <laughs> uh, Chekhov's gun. So it's basically a phenomenon. You're an English teacher. Yes. For high schoolers. Not for right. so the place. The plays of Anton Chekhov, uh, there's one of them, and I don't remember which one has it, but basically it's, if there's a gun in the first act, it must be fired before the end of the play. Oh, yeah. I knew this. I was very concerned that you didn't. I don't even remember. I always get Ibsen and Chekhov confused with each other, and I was about to start talking about A Doll's House. And I mean, that's that's definitely. Well, when, when we made it to that portion of modern drama... I was, um, not, was it modern drama? I guess it would have been. Or advanced creative writing. It was the one that you and I took together, so it would have been that one. Um, I was checked out for a part. For, no, we Ad- didn't take... We t- Did we take advanced together? That was Hickenlooper. Yeah, and I'm H- sure people really care. It was Hickenlooper. We did take advanced drama together, or advanced creative writing together, because that was where I wrote my, um, one act about the cross-dressing office manager. Uh- I do recall that, yeah. Yes, and we had a fleeting idea to write a play in the style of the Greek tragedy in which all of the people that die on stage become members of the chorus. Which is um, amazing, and I still think we should do it. But I still have the notes for that in my notebook. Sorry. Um, circling back around, I took modern drama, uh, modern drama also with the same professor, also the same semester, so all of those classes bleed together in my head, and... I checked out of all of the Russian dramas by the end of the semester because there's a lot of them. It's there's okay. so many of them. Yes. But Chekhov's uh, gun must be fired before the end of the act. So Frodo right. uses Bombadil's song. And... Correct. And Tom Bombadil sings in response. <laughs> and he uh, literally comes crashing through the mound. Yeah. And he sings the white to death. Of course. It fucking... Tolkien, somebody would be saying today. The power of music, Kayla. The power, power of music. I I see your power of music and raise you the power of persistence because if you sing to somebody enough, they will probably lose their mind. I mean, we can try it. You want me to start singing? I mean, you sing lovely, so. Oh, thank you. Yes. So he gets the hobbits out and begins 
to sort through the Barrow Wright's treasure. And then he stops, um, he oh, being Tom Bombadil. He sings the other three hobbits back to life, basically. They probably okay. weren't dead, but he wakes them up with a song. Yes. Because what well, else do you do? You sing. When in doubt, sing. That's the lesson I've learned from the Hobbit. So the Hobbit. The, yeah, my my notes say so he sings the Tom song, and Tom comes to the rescue. Tom sings the White to death, and sings them back to life. <laughs> like, yes. That's what my notes literally say. Well, I was going to comment on a slightly more sentimental and sad thing in that mm-hmm. while he is after he gets all the Hobbits woken up, um, and he's sorting through the Barrow White's treasure. He notices a brooch that once belonged to a woman he knew, and he is not willing or able to comment on it further. Yes. I have so many questions. Who is she? Um, What happened to her? Why? Kayla, are you, in this very one instant, I will give you spoilers. Okay, good. Do you want them? Yes, I do. We never find out. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. When you say we never find out, do you mean throughout the entire series of The Lord of the Rings? Or do you mean, like, in any of Tolkien's, like, extensive writings? In my memory of all of Tolkien's writings that I've read, we never find out. He writes about fucking pipe tobacco, but he doesn't give us a backstory on Tom's long-lost love. (laughs) Not that I recall. So I'm going to ask one more time. He writes an extensive history on the types of pipe tobacco smoked by fucking hobbits. But he doesn't give us a backstory on, like, an actually important thing. Uh, no, I can make some guesses. Um, but I don't particularly... My my assumption is that something similar is probably described in the Silmarillion, but we're never, like, reminded of the fact that Tom knew that person but i cannot confirm that's pure speculation on my part tolkien describes so many so many garments and things and the silmarillion that i absolutely could not tell you if this is described there yes well in a manner reminiscent of when um frodo what does frodo get not frodo bilbo get um is it stinger his little sword sting. that he has. Sting. Sting, yes. Um, in a manner reminiscent of when he gets Sting, um, Tom hands each of the hobbits a dagger that is, much like Bilbo's Sting, is the appropriate size for a sword for a hobbit. Yes. Gives them each a weapon. Why did it take us eight chapters on a journey when somebody is literally trying to kill or capture Frodo for the hobbits to get themselves armed? That's a great question, but um, something something that is specifically noted in the test or the text here is that the new weapons felt awkward to the hobbits. Fighting had not before occurred to any of them as one of the adventures in which their flight would land them. So they okay, literally. Okay, I'm calling. I'm calling bullshit. I'm calling bullshit on the part of the hobbits right there. It's like you're being <laughs> chased. You're being chased by a supernatural dark figure who is after you and your little ring, also of dark nature, and it didn't occur to you that you were going to need to fight at some point? Like, They're peace-loving people. I get it. I get it. But at the same time, like, hobbits are not known for their common sense, and that's about where this goes. I think that that's fair. 
Yes. But they, the rest of the chapter is fairly uneventful. Tom Bombadil insists upon escorting them to the edge of his lands on his little pony named Fatty Lumpkin, <laughs> which I love. Do you remember when our friend Di- uh, Diana made up the term chubby lumpkin freshman year of college? Because that was exactly <laughs> what I thought of. <laughs> oh my god, I part. forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> so now there's a chubby little pony in the Hobbit or in the Lord of the Rings named Fatty Lumpkin. Yes. It makes me so happy. And then this is my notes for this for the ending. He gives each Hobbit a dagger and then leads them safely to the edge of the Barrow Downs. Tom tells them to go to Bree to a tavern called Wonder of Wonders, the Prancing Pony. More ponies, Kayla. I know. Wonder of wonders. And that is where <laughs> chapter eight ends. Yep. They Frodo basically goes over the plan of, hey, I'm using a fake name. Let's head for Bree. And yeah, that's the what end could, of it. What could possibly go wrong? You know, nothing. They're going to a nice town and a nice inn and it's going to be totally fine, Kayla. It's going to be fine. It's going to be great. It's going to be a perfect time. Do you have any, do you have any predictions um, I feel like we're going to meet an, an, some more new characters because we're still fairly we're going, early in the book. Yeah, we're going to a bigger town with other people. So that is a safe bet. Um, we, I, I mean, I have a wild prediction, but it's for chapter nine. So I'm not going to tell you it right now. Understandable. But, yes. But that's all I have for this chapter. Um, we took all of my little side quests what did I? Nope, we talked about I don't about have that. any other notes or anything for this chapter as well. I'm done as well. Um, give me one second. I'm going to look at our social media. Here. Okay, so we are on Instagram under Mordor underscore she wrote. We are on Twitter under Mordor she wrote as well. Um, you can find us pretty easily. We're the little pink logo with... Um, the Eye of Sauron on the pen. And you can email us at mortarshewrotepodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or unnecessary forms of flattery. And <laughs> if you would be so kind, if you are listening and, and you've enjoyed what you've heard today, maybe on your favorite podcatcher, uh, leave us a little review. Maybe like us, follow us, um, share the word, however you however you dare, and we will catch you next time. Oh yeah, may the stars shine on the end of your road. I forgot that part. <laughs> <laughs>